0: Hello again, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Franick, a TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the podcast. This is episode eight, and once again, no games since our last visit, at least for the Grizzlies. Still, got a solid show lined up for you. In addition to that, was the week that was, or wasn't, as the case may be, I've got a couple of Petey's points, and I'll also go back 16 years in an installment of NBA story time that has particular resonance for this time of year and for Memphis Grizzlies fans. We'll wrap it all up with a new friend of the program, Brian Anderson of Turner Sports. He has called the MLK Day game for national television the last few years. He's also one of the classiest people in our business and just really a great guy to visit with, very, very down-to-earth, despite the fact he's on national TV all the time. We'll chat about his impressions of the Grizzlies team having called the game against Phoenix uh, on MLK Day. Uh, We'll also get his thoughts on what it was like being inside the Orlando bubble and now what it is like calling games from, literally, his basement in Milwaukee. It's all part of a longer conversation. We'll have part two coming up in a future episode of the Grizz Weekly Grind. If there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? If that answer is yes, then here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today. Don't delay. Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years and a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. They're doing framing consultations by appointment at 901 685 77 So, if you've got a a very special piece of artwork, or maybe it's a jersey or some other sports memorabilia, and you want it framed to museum quality, call Chris Garner at 901 685 7796. Great guy, great craftsman in framing, and uh, he takes care of all my stuff and does a fantastic job. All right, let's go to That Was the Week That Was. Well, (laughs) uh, there were no games played. I think we all know that by now. Grizzlies have not played since January the 18th in the MLK Day game. Two games at Portland were postponed. Again, Memphis flies to Portland to play the Trailblazers, and COVID uh, just gets rid of that game. Uh, So the Grizzlies lose the two games there. They're supposed to come home, play two against Sacramento. Those get postponed. And then they were supposed to play Chicago on Wednesday. Now, that game postponed at least in part – that the Grizzlies couldn't get the team together to practice. And the tightening of the COVID protocols by the NBA uh, kept the Grizzlies, I guess, out of the practice facility, so they were not able to get any work done. And for competitive balance uh, and fairness, you didn't want to have to bring them in without any practice to play the Chicago Bulls. So that game was postponed as well. Now, if nothing changes, And, of course, everything is written in pencil right about now. If nothing else changes, the Grizzlies will play San Antonio Saturday night, 7.30 start on Fox Sports Southeast, and then again on Monday night as well, then a back-to-back Tuesday night against the Indiana Pacers. So that's what's on tap for the Grizzlies. And then after the Grizzlies play that three and four nights, then they get back on the treadmill, again, pending the fact that COVID stays away. Uh, The Grizzlies will get back on their treadmill with a game every other day, every other day. So it remains to be seen how all that plays out. So that was the week that was. And with that, let's go to Petey's points. Um, There are reports that the NBA is contemplating some sort of NBA All-Star game in Atlanta. And Brevin Knight and I played golf the other day, and we both looked at each other and said, Why? Why, with COVID continuing to rage, would you bring players together, coaches together, media together? Why? Uh, if player safety really is the guiding principle of everything, why would you expose people potentially to more risk? Didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, unless the NBA has some plan, vaccination plan, a bubble plan, I don't know. But I mean, a lot of players are probably looking forward to that March break just to, to get away and then to put in an event in the middle of it. It just, it just doesn't ring right with me. And, I, and I'm, I'm confused as to why that's even being contemplated, but uh, apparently it is. Uh, this time of year has been very, very tough on the NBA family. Last year in January, we lost Kobe Bryant and his daughter, In the helicopter crash in LA. And then on Tuesday, we were informed of the death of Siku Smith, one of the most respected NBA writers anywhere, Uh, native of Grand Rapids, Michigan man, wrote uh, on the Indiana Pacers beat, the Atlanta Hawks beat, was seen on NBA TV, the Hangtime podcast, so many areas in, in which he was involved in the NBA. And I never personally met Seku, but all you had to do was read all the social media posts from reporters, young and old, about the impact that he had on their lives. And that is a terrible, terrible loss. The loss of Kobe Bryant is still felt. Um... If you have not read the New York Times article about Zach Randolph and his daughter McKinley, uh, McKinley playing on Team Mamba, thankfully, neither she nor Zach was was involved in the helicopter crash, of course, but, you know, Zach Randolph and Kobe Bryant were always on on opposite ends of the floor, whether Zach was with the Clippers or with the Trailblazers or later with the Grizzlies, and yet they formed a friendship and a bond with their daughters playing basketball together, and I would certainly recommend that article, to your attention. Um, You know, to his opponents, Kobe could be brash or abrasive, uh, trash talker, played with a chip on his shoulder, played with an edge bordering on arrogance. And, you know, for, speaking for myself, throughout my broadcast career, he was always on the opposite side too. Um, And he caused my teams, Portland and Memphis, no end of heartbreak, including the two thousand conference finals when Portland blew the big lead in the fourth quarter and of course nobody has scored more points against the Grizzlies than Kobe Bryant so when he was playing you respected the greatness but <laughs> to be honest you hated his guts because he was on the other team and more often than not he was beating you um, after Kobe retired I, there was speaking for myself a greater sense of respect for him uh, he just wasn't a retired basketball player He was trying to do new and different and creative things with his life, including filmmaking, including coaching. Um, And he, he really was a bit of a renaissance man, trying to do different things, whether it was writing poetry or making films or coaching. And there was an intellectual curiosity about him that I thought was amazing and outstanding and certainly admirable. And for Siku Smith, he was a guy who had a tremendous impact on people, advice for young reporters. Uh, A number of beat writers would go to a beat and they had no idea what they were doing and Siku would take him or her under his wing and tell them what life in the NBA was all about. Uh, And those of you who know the Grizzlies telecasts know that like Siku Smith, we lost Michael Speedy Edwards, our lead Elvis or replay operator to COVID. Um, Both Siku and Speedy, Didn't get to see age 50. Gone well before their time. COVID is real. I have known people that have had it. I have known people that have had it and recovered. I know people who have had it and have died. Folks, whatever you can do to mitigate the spread, whether that's masking up, distancing, getting a vaccination, do whatever you have to do, Um, this Insidious COVID has taken far too many people, many of them before their prime, and it is sad and it is heartbreaking and it needs to end. The subject of loss also takes place into NBA story time today. Um, It was in January of 2005 that Don Poyer, the original voice of the Grizzlies passed away on the road in Denver as we were getting ready to take on the Nuggets in a late January game in 2005. I want to tell the story about Don Poyer, not about his death, but about one act of kindness, one interaction that changed my life, for sure. And that was, you go back to the late 1990s, I think it was 1997, 98, somewhere in there, And I had done fill-in work for the Detroit Pistons radio network and had aspired to be a full-time NBA radio announcer. And the man who had hired me for the Detroit Pistons work had since moved on to the Portland Trailblazers. And one night I'm sitting in my apartment in Chicago and I get a phone call saying, get your ass to Portland tomorrow. And I ask why. And the executive in question, Harry Hutt, said, well... Don Poyer, the radio voice of the Vancouver Grizzlies, has lost his voice. The Grizzlies don't have a backup. And if you can fly your way out here, you can do the Vancouver Grizzlies game in Portland tomorrow night for Vancouver Radio. And so, and this is a much longer story. I may, I may tell at some other point in time. I did finally make it to Portland, and I did call that game. Um, Don had indeed lost his voice. Uh, and, but Don insisted on sitting courtside. And introducing me as the fill-in, uh, despite the fact he had no voice, and despite the fact that he mispronounced my name out of every single commercial break, every single one. And that, but that was Don. He was that was the type of guy he was. And so after that, I, it was a one-off. I did the game. I flew back to Chicago. Went on with with my daily life. And. Ultimately, I got the TV job with the Portland Trailblazers. And so Don and I would always, whenever the Grizzlies would play Portland, we would always laugh about that night in Portland when he lost his voice, couldn't pronounce my name, and with minimal preparation, I did a Vancouver Grizzlies game. And we always had a good laugh about that. Well, fast forward now to the summer of 2004. Uh, I had been laid off by the, the, uh, the Trailblazers, and the Grizzlies radio job was open and I applied for it. I I didn't contact Don directly. Uh, I I dealt with the director of broadcasting for the Grizzlies, Randy Stevens, uh, at that time, and had the interview, uh, thought it went well, Um, and ultimately, I got the call when I was in Athens to do the Olympics for NBC that I was going to be the radio voice for the Memphis Grizzlies on all non-televised games. Don would do TV, and if there was no TV, and in those games, only about 50 games were on TV, then Don Don would do radio. So I get the job, and a few days later, I get a call from Don. And Don said, look, I just want you to know that I was asked of the candidates for the job uh, who I think should get it. And he said, I weighed in on your behalf. And he said, number one, I think you're a really good broadcaster. He said, but number two... I just think you're a good person, and I want to be around good people, and I go back to that night in Portland when you flew in from Chicago. I had no idea who you were and couldn't pronounce your name, and you filled in for me. You did a great job. We had a good time, and then we could laugh about it afterwards, and I would like for you, and I told Randy Stevens, I would like for you to be part of the Grizzlies organization, and he said, I don't know if I was the determining factor or not, but I did weigh in, on your behalf, and and Don did that without me asking, uh, without me contacting him at all. And so when young people ask me for bits of advice about getting into the business, I do talk to them about networking. I also talk to them about being like a Siku Smith, where you know everybody, you take an interest in everybody, that you are good to everybody. I think of Don Poyer and one of the things that I remember about Don is he knew all the usher's names. He knew everybody. Never met a stranger. And so, for the young people who want to get into broadcasting or media or, or really in any walk of life, there's a lot to be said for treating people as you'd like to be treated. And Don was was one of those amazing people And I think back to that fall of 2004 when I was new in Memphis, barely knew anybody, and Don would insist, you're coming over to the house tonight, and Don would cook. And uh, I spent a lot of time with him. And uh, we're going to visit with Brian Anderson in a little bit, super classy guy. Uh, Don also a super classy guy. And unfortunately, Don gone far, far too early. He was only 53 when he left us back in January of 2005, and that is... That is today's NBA story time. Well, I had said that uh, Don Poyer was one of the classiest people you'd ever want to be around. Well, another one is Brian Anderson. He's one of the prime voices on Turner Sports for the NBA and Major League Baseball. Formerly a minor league baseball announcer for the San Antonio Missions. He worked on the sidelines for Spurs local telecasts, also worked for the Golf Channel, before moving on to the play-by-play chair for the Milwaukee Brewers, he's been around big moments calling Major League Baseball playoffs for Turner, the NCAA tournament for CBS and Turner. Um, he is called majors for the Golf Channel, and since 2014 he's been in the Turner NBA play-by-play rotation with Marv Albert and Kevin Harlan. I caught up with him earlier this week from his basement studio in Milwaukee. Today's friend of the program is Brian Anderson. You know him from, well, any number of places. NBA basketball on TNT, college basketball on CBS, golf on virtually everywhere, um, and the TV voice of the Milwaukee Brewers. So, uh, B.A., I understand you, you've had some snow in Milwaukee, so you've already been out uh, <laughs> moving some snow from someplace to someplace else.
1: See, that's the thing, Pete, and you know this. You, you We've been we've been on opposite uh Opposite tangents here, but I grew up in Texas, a sixth generation Texan. And so then I moved to Milwaukee, and now I've been here 15 years. So, you know, now I'm living the uh, upper Midwest life. I actually, believe it or not, and I'm not joking, you're, you probably can understand this on some level. I actually enjoy it. I get a great workout. I'm all lathered up, shoveled out the driveway. We got about six inches of snow last night. And so, you know, you get up in the morning, you go shovel it out, you feel good, you feel like you've actually accomplished something. Now I'm getting ready for an NBA basketball game on
0: NBA TV tonight. So, hey, what a life. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Uh, As we record this, the world is remembering Kobe Bryant, who passed Mm -hmm. away in the helicopter accident a year ago today. Any special memories of games that he played or interactions with Kobe Bryant?
1: Well, I covered him a lot when I was with the Spurs. I was a sideline reporter um, with with the Spurs for eight years, and you know, I, just every interaction with him was uh, intimidating, awe-inspiring. I don't say that because he's passed, but I it it's it was the same with Michael Jordan, and it was the same with guys that I was around every day, like Tim Duncan. Um, there was just that presence about him, you know, and you knew you were in the presence of greatness and there was a little bit of, you know, mystery there as well. And so I do have a lot of memories of, you know, just asking him questions or, or covering his games. Um, but I think most vividly is, um, is doing the game. Um, the, we were the first ones on the air on TNT, uh, after basically after it happened. So, um, they had, I don't know if you remember this, on TNT, they did Inside the NBA from Staples Center, an empty Staples Center. Um, and it was very somber. It was a very somber hour of television. And then they threw it to us in Miami. And I was working with Jim Jackson that night. And I can remember watching the show go down. And, you know, we've we've got to call a game and prepare for a game. And, you know, the Kobe, rem- you know, remembrances are going to be everywhere and everybody paying their respects and then how are we going to handle this and so uh Jim Jackson played with Kobe uh they were friends so having to k- kind of figure out what we were going to do with that how we were going to do justice with him uh with Jimmy and so anyway that that's what I remember most um is trying to navigate that for the fans who wanted to pay their respects, but also watch a basketball game. And, you know, you've been in these positions many times, I'm sure. Uh, we hate we hate it when it happens, but there's a delicate balance between providing some entertainment, calling a game, doing what we normally do versus um, kind of opening up and, and creating a, a little bit of a space for people to come heal. And, um, I, you know, that's always a challenge for us in this industry. And so that's, that's what I remember most
0: uh, on this day one year ago. Yeah, I was getting ready to to call a game. I was literally pressing my shirt when I started to see the alerts on social media that something had happened and people begging, please let it not be true. And went to FedEx Forum. We were at home playing Phoenix, I believe. And nobody really wanted to be there. It was almost like nobody wanted to play. Nobody wanted to broadcast, but yet we had the obligation to do so. brevin Knight had never played with Kobe, but he related the story of the time when Kobe came up to him after a game and said, You're going to be really good in this league. And it was that type of interaction with Kobe Bryant that informed a lot of Brevin's career. Uh you know, Brevin was, okay, well, you know, can I make it as a little guy out of Stanford? And Kobe Bryant told him, Yes, you can. And that was very, very big in in Brevin's life. And so that was one of the stories that we were able to tell, but it was a a very, very gutting moment for so many of us. a little more recently, you uh, you were not in Memphis, but you did call the MLK Day game between the Phoenix Suns and the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, you got to work that with, with Grant Hill. What were your impressions of the Grizzlies from distance?
1: Well, I love doing that game and I've done it the last uh, number of years for TNT, Grant Hill and I both. And, uh, you know, normally Grant's involved with the National Civil Rights Museum. He's extremely busy that whole weekend. So, uh, and then I get to kind of hear all the stories and, you know, all the interesting parts of his life as we come together for the broadcast. So we missed that a lot. Um, and I hate that uh, we weren't able to travel to Memphis. Uh, I love Memphis and I love uh, being in that arena and seeing you guys and and obviously St. Jude and that whole connection there. Um, so I am a fan of the Memphis Grizzlies always, the organization and the current team. I'm a huge fan of Taylor Jenkins. Um, I, I There's a Spurs influence there, as you know. And so I kind of feel connected. Uh, maybe three levels down to Taylor Jenkins uh, through Mike Budenholzer, of course, and then through Greg Popovich. So I feel I, what I see in the Memphis Grizzlies is is the building of something that I I saw with the Spurs. You don't know if you're going to have a player like Tim Duncan, and then all of a sudden you have a John Morant. So you have a generational player. Um, and he's certainly a guy that people are going to want to play with. And, you know, it's tough to attract free agents in places like san antonio and memphis so i always have a soft spot for the smaller markets i've been the television voice of the milwaukee brewers for 15 years so this is a a regular occurrence for me to think about our places in in the bigger ocean of uh, professional sports i really like the team a lot i i love their energy it's one of my favorite stops on league pass uh partly because of the announcers but also because of the (laughs) because of the team and they're just they're they're entertaining. I missed John Morant when he was out. I missed Jaron Jackson Jr. I you know when they get their pieces together I think they're going to be really good. They're going to be a dangerous team every year for a long time because they're going to be system-based. My challenge to those who are running the Memphis Grizzlies is to go on the path that the Miami Heat have gone on, and like the San Antonio Spurs went on, because even though we think about Greg Popovich as a a obviously a Hall of Fame coach, one of the greatest to ever do it, there were a lot of years there in the in the beginning, and I was there for all of this uh, when he went when he came in as GM and then a, to head coach, and but there were years when he probably should have lost his job, and probably would have in any other market. And you could say, say the same thing about Eric Spolstra in Miami, but that continuity and the culture that they've built. And we talk about the heat culture at nausea and people get sick of it. Talk about Spurs culture. They have a chance to build that in Memphis. It's the foundation pieces are already set. They have to stay with that plan. They've got great players. They're going to be a plug and play system where people can come in. You can fill roles around superstars and you have superstars. So I really love everything they have going. I just would challenge them to stay the course, even when it doesn't go well. The real test will be when the Grizzlies make the playoffs again, possibly even this year, they have that little bit of burst, and then there's a little bit of a setback potentially with injuries or whatnot. Then will you stay the course? Because I really like Taylor Jenkins and his staff, and I think think they're building something pretty special there.
0: Yeah, his communication skills have been very good, and he's really bonded with this group. And it is—it does go back to that San Antonio culture. I remember a couple of years ago, the Spurs on the front page, uh, the front cover of their media guy just had the word "family." You know, there, there was there were no players, nothing like that. And, and Taylor Jenkins has certainly brought that here, and his guys have responded. Getting away from the Grizzlies for a moment, as we visit with Brian Anderson of TNT. Um, Helicopter view of the NBA, you get to call a number of teams, number of games. What's one storyline or two storylines that jump out at you this early?
1: Well, I hate to go negative, but I feel like just about every game I've done, maybe other than a couple, the first quarters have been tragic. Every first quarter that we we had one last night, we did a game last night. The first quarter was an absolute disaster between Brooklyn and Miami nobody could make a shot Miami missed 11 straight three-pointers everybody's hoisting up threes nothing's going in and I've seen that so often this year I don't know if you have the same experience uh, calling the everyday uh, game like you do but my goodness I'm doing two three games a week and it's awful you know and I don't blame the players I I think the quick ramp up uh, the covid Everything is just so unusual this year. There's no fans, there's no energy, and the first quarters have been awful. Now, we've had some amazing finishes, and I, I I like that. You know, I like that these guys are competing, but there's a definitely a different vibe than what we saw in the bubble. They played hard. That's the playoffs, and I understand that, but I'm talking about even the seeding games or the ramp-up games. Um, so I think I, my sense is there's just this element of get through it, or at least get to the point where it's deciding time and we've seen more blowouts this year than in any other year i mean almost 20 i think as the last check it was like 23 of the games have been decided by 14 points or more so there's there's huge discrepancy in score and we've had a ton of blowouts but i do think that's my initial impression as we get started here but hopefully As this uh, vaccine rollout continues, hopefully it becomes more robust. We can get fans back in the stands. We can start building toward a playoff run, right? In baseball, it would be a pennant race, but a a playoff run. And then ultimately into the playoffs, we're going to see that change. But right now, it just feels like every team is kind of feeling each other. Not every team, but most teams are kind of feeling each other out. Like, how hard are we going to play tonight? Are we going to match each other with level fives? Or are we going to match each other with level tens? And I don't see many tens to start games. I see a lot to finish games, but not to start. So that that'd be my general impression. Obviously, the Lakers—they play hard. They're the best team in the league, in my opinion. I think the Clippers are are getting to the point where they're to be reckoned with now, uh, especially now with Serge Ibaka. Um, and in the East, you know, Brooklyn is now a factor, and and uh, You know, I I still like Miami a lot. And of course, the Milwaukee Bucks. So those are kind of. Oh, by the way, the Utah Jazz, I'm a believer. (laughs) I saw them. I saw them uh, last week for the first time, uh, called a game and got in and did the prep. Speaking of Spurs culture with with Quinn Snyder, uh, they're they're for real. So those are kind of my hot teams, I guess, as we as we talk here at the end of January.
0: Yeah. Quinn Snyder, another, another one of the Greg Popovich coaching tree. You alluded to the experience in Orlando. Um, Revan and I obviously called Grizzlies games from Memphis. Uh, You were actually in the bubble for a period of time, working playoff games for TNT. What was that experience like? We know that the players went fishing and played a lot of golf. (laughs) What was, what was your experience like there?
1: Uh, well, it was great. I mean, I, um, I've i said this often, but I, I felt like it was the safest place in America, maybe in the world. We were being tested regularly every third day, typically, uh, temperatures every day. Um, there was no in or out. You know, you had to go through a quarantine period. Uh, we were not in the same grouping as the players and the, the on-court staff. Uh, we were in the broadcasting side of things. And so we shared a hotel with the ESPN crews, television and radio, NBA executives, Pat Riley was on my floor. I saw Pat Riley every day, you know, (laughs) walking around in shorts and flip flops, getting ice out of the ice machine. So that was cool. But uh, it it was it was a surreal experience, Uh, felt like a movie set, you know, where everything looks kind of normal, but there's nothing behind those walls. But the, the presentation of the games and, you know, our vantage point, we were surrounded by plexiglass, which made that challenging, but at least we were at the arena, we could feel the game, um, see the game. We had no access to players other than through Zooms and whatnot. Um, So there were a lot of adjustments from a broadcasting perspective, but it was basically the hotel, which was a resort that had a golf course and a pool and an outdoor restaurant um, and a biking hiking trail. It It was awesome. It was like day camp for broadcasters. And so often... Um, I would say every day, maybe, you know, five days out of seven, we were having these giant lunches together, uh, with all of our colleagues, people we never get to hang out with, you know, uh, Mike Breen and I played a lot of golf. We had a lot of lunches, Doris Burke, Spiro Adidas, Kevin Harlan, and Eagle. We were all there together and just kind of sharing notes and having a great time getting to really know each other. We talk on the phone a lot with our colleagues, as you know, but you never really get to sit down and spend a lot of time especially those in rival networks so the whole experience was outstanding i was there six and a half weeks uh i went home for three days i did the western conference finals and that ended in five so i was able to go home for three days to wisconsin then i turned around and went to the mlb bubble in san diego so when it was all said and done it was nine and a half weeks of straight bubbles they called me the double bubble boy and uh minus the three days at home so um, i'm very grateful that my company, Warner Media, Turner Sports, A, thought enough of me to have me there. B, it just was able to pull off, have the resources to pull off uh, doing these games and, you know, providing this entertainment piece and partnering with the NBA as they did. So uh, a lot of our colleagues are out of work, um, searching for work, especially my minor league baseball brethren. So my heart was going out to them. And I, you know, my gratitude was overflowing that I had work and I had a job and I was able to go execute that regardless of the circumstances. I mean, I think we were all okay with
0: being as nimble as they needed us to be. And that's our show for today. Grizzlies have a two-game set coming up with the Spurs on Saturday and Monday, then finishing a three- and four-nights stretch in Indiana. Coming soon to the Grizz Weekly Grind, we'll visit with Mark Boyle, radio voice of the Pacers, and we'll preview that game at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And we'll also have more long-form interviews coming up in the coming weeks. Jeff Calkins, Brian Anderson, an in-depth discussion of NBA refereeing with Monty McCutcheon, Senior VP of Referee Training and Development. All that and more on the way on the Grizz Weekly Grind. Today's show has been brought to you by the Youth Athletic Foundation. Its mission is to assist student-athletes in developing a strong work ethic through discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Their goal is to help youngsters understand the importance of working hard to be the best they can be, whether it's on the court, in the classroom, or in the community. The YAF has donated millions of dollars to charities, families, local high schools, and youth sports program. We thank them for their support. This is Pete Branica. Thanks so much for listening to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network.